0: This is the Martin Waymeyer Podcast. We're a public relations team that loves Lansing, and we have a passion for making Michigan a better place. We're walking through case studies of strategic communications, issue management, digital strategy, and discussing those examples with our clients. I'm Jessica Tremontana, a senior account executive, and I'm joined by my coworker Andy Poole, who is vice president at Martin Waymeyer. Today we're here to talk to employees with MHA, or the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. So welcome to Ruth Ann Sutterth, and Laura Watruba. We appreciate both of you guys coming to our office to talk about MHA and your rebranding process, but first can you go ahead and introduce yourselves, tell us your title and a little bit about MHA. Sure, well thank you for having us
1: Jessica, we're glad to be here. Uh, My name is Ruthie Sutterth. And I am the Vice President of Public Affairs at the MHA. Um, So day to day, I lead our communications team and work on a variety of
2: public policy matters. And I am Laura Watruba. I'm the Director of Public Affairs at the MHA and a member of Ruthie's team and have been there about five years. I also serve as the media spokesperson for the organization.
0: Fabulous. Well, thank you guys. We really do appreciate it. Now, can you tell us a little bit about how you define Rebranding and why did MHA decide to rebrand?
1: Sure, I'll start. Um, the MHA has always had a really strong identity in Lansing and across Michigan as a leading voice in healthcare. We have that really strong reputation. The problem that we had and that we identified a few years ago was that we didn't have a visual brand that connected to that reputation of being the trusted voice in healthcare. And so um, we had a logo. But none of our stuff looked the same. We had a really old website. And all of that impacts how you're able to communicate your message to people. So um, we decided to embark on a process of uh, rebranding and um, establishing a new website to go along with it about three years ago. And we finished the process um, just last year. So that's really the why behind behind um,
2: our rebranding process. To your question about how we defined rebranding our rebranding really depends on the organization. For us, uh, we did a lot of research leading into this process and noticed that there was a lot of organizational and culture thought behind uh, branding, meaning putting a logo on something. And I think that's really common and not just specific to our organization. And so part of our defining the rebranding process was really moving beyond that a brand is just the logo, and looking at all those different elements that are incorporated into your brand.
0: Andy, I see you nodding. Do you have anything to add? I was I was really
3: nodding uh, on the, starting with the research. So you know, here at Martin Waymire, we really f- encourage our clients to start at that point, um, trying to understand the problem um, and understand what their different constituencies think. And so, even though rebranding can feel like a really insular. Uh, process where you get a lot of internal opinions what ultimately matters is the perception of your key audiences so I think the fact that they started with that research is really important and um, I was also you know nodding because you do get a lot of um, a lot of people that think that branding is just the visual aspect of it and it's so much more than that it really is about how you define who you are as a company or as an organization, having a consistent way to talk about it, what your values are, and that you can ask anybody across your organization, you know, what do we do? Um, Who do we serve? And that people know how to answer that question. So I think having that, I I see rebranding as really a focus on consistency, both visually and in the story you
0: tell. That's great. Now tell us about the research and how that helped really define the goals that you identified that you wanted to reach throughout the rebranding process.
2: I would say we kicked it off really with collecting uh, a year's worth of materials um, that were designed and we laid them out on a conference table. Uh, which happens to be 36 feet long, and we took up about two thirds of the table <laughs> with all of these different pieces Woo! that were designed for a year, and so that really served a great purpose for two reasons. The first reason is, of course, like the visual of looking at that, and we were able to see everything all together, and we noticed that, speaking to Andrea's point, there was no consistency. You could pick up. Uh, A piece at one end of the table and it had no relation to a piece later on in the table so that was something that kind of cued us as a communications team and then even as our staff was looking at that that whoa our stuff is all over the place Um, the second was the amount of stuff we were producing and we noticed as we started looking into all those different pieces that there were quite a few what we would call one-offs which I would term as pieces that were developed for a very limited audience or for a very limited uh, timeframe. And so, um, and there was a lot of redundancies too. So we had to look at our process as part of our rebranding effort. So it wasn't just those elements that go into the branding, but in the processes you have in place internally. Uh, to look at what you're communicating out to those different audiences and make sure you're reaching people the right way.
0: That's great. So you know it's not so much about necessarily um, quantity, a lot more so about quality and consistency.
1: Yep, absolutely. And and again to Andy's point, making sure that how you talk about things and no matter what you're producing, that your messaging is consistent and the tone in which you're writing is consistent. Our things were all over the map in, <laughs> in kind of every department. Um, and, so, and everyone kind of did their own thing. So really centralizing the process to come through communications. If you were going to produce a publication or web content or social media content, um, centralizing all that with communications was also part of this process. Um, we also asked our members about, um, you know, are, are you, do you like what you get from us? And um, one thing we learned was that the quality of what they received from us was really high, but they didn't really know, um, they, they couldn't identify it as MHA right away. Uh, it was hard to discern who it was coming from and what the purpose was. So all of that kind of drove us into this, you know, we've got the quality of the content, but, but how are we going to make it consistent with um, everything else that we're producing and, and that we're
0: not producing too much? Sure. What types of things did you guys really take into consideration when you were walking through the rebranding process? A lot. <laughs> <laughs> it,
2: it was not an overnight decision. Um, I would say probably first and foremost was the, the needs of our internal audience, and I cannot underestimate or like overemphasize how important that is to include your staff people in this process. It's not just a communications function. You have to have buy-in from your executive team and the leaders of each of your divisions within whatever organization you're in. But every employee in your organization is an important brand ambassador, and so they have to have buy-in in in that process too. So that's really important. Um, I think in looking at that, Process, we realized as a communications team that to kind of instigate that process, we were not the best spokespeople for that. So we actually worked with Martin Weimeyer as part of a larger communications audit of our communication efforts, and that really helped uh, instigate our whole rebranding process. But it also brought in uh, a group that is credible with our organization, entrusted. Uh, and could look at us with an outsider's perspective and sometimes say things that maybe made us uncomfortable, but they were things that needed to be said. So that was a really critical component to this process as well. I think, and I think it's also about time. You know, mm-hmm. um,
3: I, Martin Wehmeyer can come in and, and focus solely on this, but the thing that every organization has to remember is that lot of times you start these processes and it's on top of your day job and on top of the things you already have to do so it can be really daunting um not just hey we might not be the the best people to lead this effort because of conflicts of interest Mm -hmm. or whatever but also like we have jobs that we have to get done to make things you know make the trains run on time so um I think that's what's helpful sometimes about hiring somebody outside to help run it because then it gets done and it's kind of um, a priority that's still happening while you're doing your day-to-day work yeah. mm-hmm.
1: and i would i would just add that when it comes to the actual rebranding decisions on all of the visual stuff which is like the what you can see at the end of the day is this we now have a brand guide that we didn't have before we were we took into consideration uh, what kind of organization are we? In? Are we a serious organization? Yes, we are. We're not going to have a cartoony font. We're not going to, um, you know, so that 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 tone that we wanted to reflect was pulled into all the colors that we chose. We looked at a lot of color theory stuff. Laura did a lot of that with our designer. Um, the fonts, all of that, was really really tried to reflect who we are as an organization, which is a trusted conservative. Uh, serious voice in the healthcare and public policy space. So, those were the things we considered when we were coming up with the visual elements of the brand.
0: Sure. Now, Laura, you touched on this a little bit about mm-hmm. the audiences and identifying and kind of Um, internal audiences. Can you Mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about um, audiences that you were trying to reach throughout this process, whether that was really um, new audiences that you wanted to engage more or existing audiences that you wanted
2: to um, kind of be your champions, if you will? I would say our main focus heading into this effort was really our classic core audiences. And for an association in Lansing, clearly that first audience is your members. And then uh, the media would be another core audience for us. Legislators and elected officials, uh, state, uh, state officials, um, those people in the regulatory realm. So those are some of our classic kind of core audiences. But I would also say we wanted to stay open to potentially needing to reach new audiences And that's just given the nature of healthcare. We work on issues, or we might have emerging issues, where we need to reach an audience that we haven't talked to before. So we really have to stay nimble in order to accommodate all those different needs. I think with this process, what we really found, and it's kind of to Ruthie's point, when we did our research, people really liked what we were saying. But I'll pick on the the legislative audience for a minute. We tended to like a lot of words in our publications. Legislators don't have time to read that. So we really started looking at ways we could visually represent some of this important data that we were trying to get in their hands. So one of the things that we did as part of this rebranding process was started to use infographics quite a bit. Mm -hmm. And that was quite successful uh, for us, particularly with that audience. So I think you know, again, going back, it's important to keep the needs of your core audience. It's important to know that you might have to identify new audience um, members, but I think for us, the biggest takeaway was identifying those audiences that you're trying to reach early, early on in that planning process, and then targeting and tailoring your pieces to meet their needs.
0: Sure. Now, um, Andy Poole, you were super involved with MHA and this entire process, and you also have been really involved in My Care Matters. Can you talk a little bit about that and also um, what important factors you wanted to help them think through?
3: Sure. Uh, Well, about, I guess it was about a year ago um, when the My Care Matters campaign or effort formally launched, but uh, before that, uh, the MHA had spent a a good portion of, of the previous year researching the different perceptions and attitudes of um, healthcare and hospitals in Michigan. So this, this really extended away from maybe the more traditional audience of the lansing Focus lawmakers, policy, uh, you know, policymakers, and looked more at the general public. And um, I think what the MHA was finding was that um, they were going to the public more and more and looking for them to lend their voice to talk to their lawmakers about issues in healthcare that matter to them, and that um, that hospitals had a really important role to play, obviously in uh, in somebody's uh, healthcare journey. So um, the the organization did a lot of qualitative research. They did focus groups and telephone interviews and in depth interviews um, with a bunch of different employers, hospitals, health systems, um, and then they also did a, a quantitative a quantitative of uh, 500 Michigan residents. So taking all of that information, um, we worked uh, with Brogan & Partners, who's our strategic partner, to help put together um, a, a few different, uh, what we are calling branding advocacy uh, videos. Um, and, and it was sort of wrapped around this campaign of the general public, um, you and I, uh, voicing that our care matters to um to lawmakers or to elected officials um and why pe- why the average person out there should care about issues that are facing hospitals how it ultimately impacts them um and it's not just hospitals but it's healthcare in general um it's a really big complicated ecosystem and um it sometimes feels very separate from what you deal with day to day with your health so i think um we also were trying to communicate how important the healthcare industry and hospitals are to Michigan in general. Um, How many there are, how many people are employed by hospitals, it's it's a very, um, it's a huge industry and obviously (laughs) Ruthie and Laura can talk more about that. But we were brought in to really help them think through how do we uh, message this out to the public. So um, we put together a, a microsite, a smaller website that was really focused on the campaign, featured the videos, um, and worked on telling hospital stories, and what we were focused on was how are these hospitals impacting your care outside of the walls of the hospital. There's um, systems throughout the state, um, even more rural hospitals that are doing a lot of amazing stuff in the community and investing millions and millions of dollars in these different programs. So it was really about making people aware of all of this and helping people connect with their with their local hospitals. and. Um, appreciate the care they receive and ultimately the call to action was to have them sign up to be a my care champion so this would be somebody who when there is a you know important issue in the legislature um, that would impact their care at a hospital or um, in in some other way that uh, the MHA would message them and let them know that this was going on and encourage them to take action in some way, and help educate them about the issue. So it was, it was, how do we tell the story about how hospitals impact you every day, but also what's the call to action? And so we now have, you know, close to 500 people that um, the association can call upon when these things come up, and make sure that they um, are activated to help lend their voice, which is really what we're finding, and it's a good thing that lawmakers really listen to their constituents and they wanna hear from everyday people, um, not just the associations and the industries that are affected. Yeah, and just to extend on that a little bit, tying it back to the branding,
1: um, the year before we launched the campaign, we actually changed the mission of our organization. It used to be that we advocate for hospitals and the patients they serve. Our mission is now that we advance the health of individuals and communities. The word hospital is not even in our mission. And so to tell these stories of how hospitals are taking care of people's health and not just their illnesses is really um, a way to tell the story of our brand. And uh, that was an avenue we really didn't have before to talk to the public. So that's
0: been a really important part of that. Sure, absolutely. Now, um, this question's really for anyone. What type of unexpected obstacles did you guys um, encounter throughout this process? And everybody has them, You know, no matter how much you plan, It always happens, so um, share. Oh, no, no,
1: it was perfect. (laughs) Um, No, we had our share of obstacles. Uh, Time is always an obstacle. Just give yourself more time than you think you need, and then add some more on top of that um, would be be one thing. I think one thing we did encounter that, um, and it's just because we didn't understand the technical process of some of it well enough, was, for example, we were getting close to... um, Finishing the content uploaded to our new website, and you know the security certificate on our old website was going to run out before we were really ready to launch. So we didn't have time to do really, really good, strong testing of our website. We launched it before we were really ready to, and um, that's something to look out for. Just make sure you're understanding all of those moving parts. Even if you're not in the technical world, talk to those folks a lot and make sure you understand what are the decisions driving our timeline. Sure
2: or anything? I mind. would say anytime you do a rebranding, it's a change. And sometimes change, even when it's positive change, is is hard for people because it's a change in how you're used to doing things. And so in that realm, I did hear a lot of what I would call friendly grumbling after we <laughs> instituted our brand guidelines. And it a was very We were concerned about the parameters we had in place. And everything looking the same and so I had to do some like education about uh, the same versus consistent but I would say that was early on in the process and after three years of having brand guidelines in place now I would say people have really been complimentary of it once they saw it and saw that it wasn't going to be uh, as Harsh as they thought it was going to be. I think our members have also Had great feedback for us that they've recognized that our stuff is looking more professional And they know it's the MHA when they get it. Uh, We've had great feedback from legislators particularly when we've done infographics Mm -hmm. uh, and that kind of thing. So I would say overall uh, the process was worth managing those hurdles that we went through. So, uh, definitely not something to be afraid of when you start going down that road.
3: Speaking of of kind of the process being worth it, um, I'd be interested in hearing, did you get any pushback on investing in this sort of thing? Not just time, but you know, um, and I know for your organization, you did handle a lot internally, Mm -hmm. but um, you know, the cost of redoing business cards, redoing the website, um, how did you justify that to your you know board or your executive leadership um, yeah. when they asked about the worth you know what is this worth?
1: Like? Yeah, I would say that I think Laura made the point that you have to start with the support of your executive team at the beginning of the process before you spend a dime. Um, that goes a long way in making sure that you're not getting cut off when you're going to implement a lot mm-hmm. of, the, the steps that you've taken and we did have to be very mindful of the cost we're a membership organization um and that's always um kind of at, at the t- it's always kind of top of mind for us to be mindful of how we're spending our, our dues dollars um there was no huge pushback there was a we were very candid at the beginning of the process about estimates of what things were going to cost for the website for um for new business cards state uh Letterhead, all those sorts of things. We did try to find savings where we could. We didn't. Um, We stopped printing business cards for people because we knew we were going to print new ones soon. You know, we tried to find those little areas of savings. Um, We could have spent a lot more on the website than we did. Um, There's there's always that kind of balance, but um, we didn't get any strong pushback because there was a very strong recognition from our leadership that
3: this needed to happen. And I would just recommend, you know, if... If there's an association or a smaller business that's looking to embark on something like this, that you can start small. Um, it's it can be really overwhelming to see all of the things you want to change and all of the things you want to make consistent, and that it's okay to just bite off one one chunk at a time. Um, you don't have to fix everything all at once. You don't have to roll it all out at once, um, but that it's it's really good to have a goal of getting to that place of consistency and you have to start somewhere. Mm-hmm. So I think if you're working with a smaller budget or you're trying to convince um, you know, an executive team that might be a little bit more hesitant to investing in something like this, I would just recommend looking at what's, what's the piece that can make the biggest impact right away and starting there and then breaking off little, little chunks as you go along.
2: I think that is key. I would reiterate that. One of the things we did propose that didn't fly with this particular rebrand was a new logo. And that was just going to be cost prohibitive at the end of the day and trying to launch that. And so that plan was tabled. But we moved forward with other elements. So I think you have to dip your toes in the water and not be afraid to go down those paths until the window closes or the door closes. And then you kind of redirect But um, absolutely keeping it simple, it is a daunting task. Uh, I just think back on when we picked colors and getting into color theory and how much time we devoted to that alone just to pick the organization's colors. So you can really go down rabbit holes sometimes with some of this stuff too.
0: Sure, absolutely. You know, is there anything else that you guys um, wish you would have considered throughout this process that didn't necessarily come to mind? You mentioned the website, you know, license. You know, is is there anything else that really was like, oh, I never even thought about that, or something like that just kind of hit you out of, out of left field?
1: Um, for me, it's a bigger picture thing. Generally this process goes along with an evaluation of your mission and your vision and it's all kind of one process we kind of had an emergency (laughs) because um, Like Laura said our stuff was all over the map and had never there had never been any kind of process so um, You know when Andy says start small for us starting small was we have to get to consistency it wasn't that we started from scratch, you know, evaluating the purpose of our organization. We had a mission. Um, we did change the colors of our logo, so that required changing all of our materials, but it was not a newly designed logo, okay. which we, we did kind of push for to try to consider, you know, what's our mission and how does how is that reflected here. But, um, you know, I would say that, you know, if you're going to go through the full process, really, really do it to tie it into your mission and who you are as an organization. If you can't do that, like Andy said, definitely decide, you know, we ended up launching the website and that was the, the first thing we did, even though the rest of the branding hadn't changed. And then we slowly rolled out the design of things and all this other stuff. So um, the start small, whatever small means to you, I think
3: is a really important point that Andy made. Sure. You're a great example of what a true rebranding is. It's not about the logo. Because a lot of people think we changed the logo and we're done. Um, you didn't, I mean, you changed your colors, but you didn't really change the logo and look at how much the difference it made. Exactly. So it's, it's so much more than that. It mm-hmm. is about that consistency and how you talk about yourself um, and making sure that you're making things concise, too, so that it's, it's easy for a, an entire internal team to tell that story. Mm-hmm.
0: And ultimately, it sounds like you guys did a good job of honing in on your mission and refining it a little bit, and growing it to help really speak yeah. to your members, and well as external or you know secondary audiences yep. as well.
1: And one technical point I will make, um, because I'm looking at my colleague who does 508 compliance for us, um, if if a website is part of your rebrand, understand whether or not you need to be 508 compliant, which means that. Anyone with um, a visual impairment, a hearing impairment or some other kind of disability is able to fully access the information on your website if you're receiving federal funds and a lot of other people really need to be 508 compliant if you're a public gathering space which is pretty much any website. So look it up, Google it, whatever, but um, make sure you're doing that if you need to be doing that. And, and it's just a good thing to do, you know, to be good humans. Yes. So.
0: <laughs> <laughs> okay, last question. Um, evaluating your rebranding, you know, um, would you guys consider it a success? It certainly was a task, a monumental one, but in hindsight, do you look at it and think we nailed it?
1: I think I think it was successful for what we wanted to do. I think there's, I think it's a process that never ends though there are things that we are now reevaluating and considering tweaking Um, some of the color stuff some of the web stuff Um, so it's a never-ending process it was successful for what it was and um and we're we're not going to do as much as we did last time but we're going to go through that process again uh, in the in the not too distant future so
0: Yay. Good times. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I think that it's something important to think of for anyone who's considering rebranding or a branding. Uh is just that it is a never ending process. And you should really we talked about this when we were developing these things, but about the schedule where like every three to five years roughly we need to take a look at these colors and all of these different elements and review them to make sure they're still current. Um, so we don't end up in that place where we were before with a 36-foot table full of stuff that uh, isn't consistent. So uh, we've been intentional about it. It is never-ending, um, and you have to be on top of it. It's really easy to still slide back, or but I think as people have seen it in practice, uh, they've embraced it, and I've had really good feedback. Uh, the feedback we get from our members and from our external audiences is, is awesome, and I love to hear that. What really uh, excites me, though, is to hear from staff members that they really like the process so and that they like the way our stuff is looking. Um, our graphic designer uh, said to me the other day, it's made her life so much easier, which was awesome to hear. So uh, so I think we're down the right path, but it's a continuing process.
0: Sure. Well, thank you, and thanks for listening to this episode on rebranding with the team from the Michigan Health and Hospital Association. Special thanks to Ruthie and Laura for joining us on the show.
2: Thank you.